As a kid in the early 70s, I was fascinated with space flight. Uh, in fact, I really desperately wanted to be at an Apollo rocket launch, like these people. These people. There we are. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. We were having some, some uh, alternates in there for us last, this, back there. So these people, isn't that a great photo? Obviously, 1969 or 70 photo. What is up with that guy on the bottom left? What is he looking at? I mean, he's like, his head's in the clouds himself and he's not even looking up. And what about the guy on the top right-hand side? The old man with his hands up in the air. <laughs> it's like he's either worshiping Jesus or he's being held at gunpoint. I don't know which one he's doing. But look at them all just looking up in the air. Or how about these folks in the 1990s watching the space shuttle launch? I would have loved to have seen that. Look at them all. What are they holding? Not smartphones. Digital cameras and, and video cams, right? Isn't that amazing? The 90s. <clears throat> all staring up into the sky as that rocket ship leaves the atmosphere. You know, the longer they stare, the sillier they look. Because what they were looking at is no longer there. And they just keep looking, maybe I can see it. And I kind of feel like it's what the disciples felt on the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. If you have your Bibles or devices, turn with me to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Acts 1 and verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up like the space shuttle. No, it doesn't say that. Lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus. Say that with me. This Jesus. Who was taken up from you into heaven will come again the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I've noticed when I go to the local Harmark store that there are no Ascension Day cards. There are cards for virtually everything else, Christmas, even Good Friday, and certainly Easter. But it is as if the Ascension, which happened 40 days after Easter Sunday, which would have been last Thursday, that the Ascension of Jesus is almost just like a barely a blip on our radar screen. And yet, his ascension has major significance to our faith. Saint Augustine said this, for unless the Savior had ascended into heaven, his nativity would have come to nothing, and his passion would have borne no fruit for us, and his most holy resurrection would have been useless. For his ascension, 
It's as critical as his incarnation. It's as important as his passion, his death, burial, and glorious resurrection. And the really great thing that we have a part to look forward to is the day that he will return to tie it all up. God has prepared such plans for us. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them and will come again. You know, the thing that I'm always intrigued about is this 40-day period between Easter and his ascension. I think it's a fascinating time. I have always said, you probably heard me say it, that I wish that I could have been there in those 40 days. When, when Jesus takes his disciples and puts them through a rigorous recalibration. I mean, he is really reprogramming them from the way they've seen things in the past into why or how they need to see things for the future in order to be effective for his kingdom. He, he appears to them. Actually, he appears, the Bible says, to more than 500 people. That's probably four to five times as many people sitting here today. Uh, I don't think we have 100 in here. So that's not even, that's more than five times as many people. He appeared to 500. No wonder they were willing to go to their death they had seen the risen Lord. So many of those people were martyred for their faith and, and many asked, why won't they just renounce it? Because they've seen the risen King. He showed up and they cannot deny what they've seen with their own eyes. And so he comes to them and he deals and addresses, first of all, their grief and then their failure and their doubt and their unbelief, he, he, he addresses all of that in this 40-day period. And he, he also expands their view of the kingdom. He gives them different perspective than what they've had. He prepares them and is preparing them for their mission. And then he says, and I've got a promise for you, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and give you power you don't have currently in order to do what I've called you to do. This conversation we read about in Acts is a part of this massive realignment these guys and gals are going through. He is reshaping them and making them useful for his kingdom purpose. They start talking in this conversation. Well, what they say is, hey, is now the time, Jesus? Is now the time that we're actually going to get the restoration of the kingdom to Israel? Which shows you right off the bat that their change has not taken full effect. They've got a long way to go. They're seeing certain things that Jesus is wanting them to see it differently. Their view is so narrow it's so minimalist. It's so temporal, earthy. They, Jesus throughout his ministry, and especially in these 40 days, is helping them see, my kingdom is not of this world. But they still are acting like it is. And so they ask him, well, now's got to be the time, Jesus, that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he just bluntly says, that's none of your business. That's my translation of it. That's none of your business, boys. Actually, what he says is just as direct in verse 7. It is not for you to know. It is not for you to know. Would you say that with me? It is not for you to know. 
the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Think about that. Jesus, we're given just certain segments of his conversation in these 40 days, and at least two of them, this one, and also when he tells Peter after the breakfast of restoration, you know, just a few weeks earlier, and Peter's saying like, but Jesus, what about John, the beloved disciple? What's going to happen with him? And Jesus looks at Peter, and he's like, Peter, what is that to you? So we have just only a few things that Jesus said in these 40-day periods, and two of them are Stay in your lane, people. That's basically what he's saying. What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. And oh, are you going to do all that we think that you're going to do? It is not for you to know. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're not entitled to answers. As followers of Jesus, he never told us we'd have all the answers. I know that bothers a lot of us, especially people who think they have the answers and people who think they deserve the answers. But Jesus never promised answers. Just ask Job how well that goes for him demanding all these answers from God. God doesn't promise answers, but he does make a promise. Look at verse eight again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Wow. What an incredible promise. I don't know that we, we've read this so many times. Judah, would you go over and turn that light switch off on the left over there? Okay. These lights are flickering and I cannot get it out of my head. The left, the left. Just turn it down. There you go. Thank you. I don't know why that happens, but it flickers when that switch is on. Thank you. We read this so oftentimes, and we are just almost like we don't even think about it. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. That's what he promised those disciples, and he promises it to each one of us. And he does it because he's got a job for us to do. And the only way we're going to be able to do the job is to have the power to make it work. That promise is for us as well. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon us to empower us to do what he's called us to do. Luke says that after these things, he was taken up from them and a cloud took him from out of their sight. And you gotta know these guys have seen so much following Jesus. And this is just another one that is amazing to them. Think about what they've seen. They have, first of all, been pulled in their hearts towards him when they heard his words. Follow me and I'll make you a fisherman. They saw him go to a wedding and turn water into wine. What a miraculous thing. And then they, they, they see him feed 5,000 people with just a few fish and loaves, fish, loaves of bread. And then they feed, he feeds 4,000. And then he's walking on the water. And then Peter walks on the water with him. One time he's asleep in the boat and the storm is so vicious, but he wakes up and he calms the storm. The lame were walking and the blind could see. And even dead people are raised again. And now throughout the passion, they have seen Jesus be hung on a cross, put in a tomb, and then three days later, it's empty. And then he shows up. 
in a room where their door is locked. He's showing up all over the place. He's causing great catches of fish even after his resurrection. And now he vanishes right out of sight. Man, Jesus, how many times are you gonna blow our mind? How many times? They had to be shocked. No wonder it took angels to kind of startle them back into what they needed to be doing. It took angels to show up and say, stop staring and go do what he said. What's intriguing to me is that this is not the first time they've heard about his departure. And I think they're going to eventually figure out that they've heard about it before, like on the Mount of Transfiguration, believe it or not. Do you remember that story? Now, that's a miraculous story. Jesus is praying, and all of a sudden, (laughs) two dead guys show up, and they know who they are. I don't know if they had name tags on. You know, I I don't know if they registered for this conference, and so it was in the pamphlet. I don't know. But like Peter, James, and John, they're there, and the Mount of Transfiguration and the holiness, the presence of God makes him glow and and Moses and Elijah show up. And here's what it says in Luke 9.30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he has or was about to accomplish in Jerusalem, of all the things Moses and Elijah and Jesus could talk about. They're talking about his departure which is about to happen. I'm sure that these disciples, when they began to realize, maybe hours or days or weeks after Jesus had ascended, that you know what? You remember that time we were up on that mountain? James like, wow, I remember, yeah, Elijah, Moses, they're there. Remember what they were talking about? They start putting all the dots together. Can you imagine? As incredible as it all was, it's even better than that. Because, yes, there is a deeper meaning than even this bodily ascension of Jesus to his Father. There's something even more powerful. Of course, he physically did ascend into heaven. And and we know that. And two angels showed up and said, just like he left, he's coming back. Which, by the way, should make us aware we should be looking for his return. But as important as that bodily ascension is, what's really critical is what it speaks to and his government rule. You see, his ascension was not only a bodily one, it was a spiritual governmental one. Jesus is ascending to the Father, to his rightful place, to the throne where all his rights and privileges that he had willingly laid aside in order to be born as a man are now restored to him. And he continues in this moment, just as he did in that moment, to reign over all. He is doing that right now. In posit. He didn't stop and end it at that moment and say, I'll see you guys in a few thousand years and now I'll start reigning then again. He's reigning now. He reigns over the whole world. And he ascended back into his father's presence. And it doesn't just mean a geographical relocation. 
It means a governmental ascension to a throne that is rightfully his. A continuation of his sovereign rule. I love, I shouldn't say love. I like the movie, The King's Speech. And I've used this illustration before, but it is so perfect for this moment. I don't recommend movies. uh, Because one time I got in trouble by recommending it and somebody was offended by the bad language in it. So I don't recommend this movie to anyone because there's some bad language in it. But I really like the movie. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. The King's Speech. It illustrates this point. It's, a, it's about this main character, Lionel. It's based on a true story. And Lionel is Australian. He's a speech coach, I guess the best way to say it. And he has been enlisted to help King George VI, who's also known as Bertie, who is the father of the current monarch of England, Queen Elizabeth. And Bertie has a debilitating stammer in his speech. It, 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 it's, it's hard for him to give speeches. And, uh, and he has to speak as the king. And so they are practicing his coronation. Uh, and they are up on a platform at Westminster Abbey. They are standing there. And Lionel is trying to get through to Bertie that he can do this. And he stuns Bertie by just sitting down on the throne <laughs> on a chair called St. Edward's chair, which is an, an old sacred 13th century wooden throne that every monarch in the last 800 years in England has been coronated on in all the regalia. And Lionel just plops down on it like he belonged there. Like there was no problem with this. And The king is incensed with it. And without one single stammer, he says, you can't do that. Which was kind of Lionel's point, I think. And even though he couldn't, even though Lionel heard him, he did. He had done it. Lionel had done it and yet Bertie was right. Because Lionel, though he could sit there physically and ascend that platform and sit on a chair, he didn't have the authority to ascend the throne. And the authority makes all the difference. It's reserved for the king and only the king. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he had the authority. When Jesus ascended to heaven, it wasn't just a physical ascension because he was able. It was a governmental ascension because he is worthy. The Apostle Paul picked up on this theme when he was writing to the Ephesians. He said this in Ephesians 1.19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe? According to the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus ascended the throne because he was worthy. This being seated is a big theological concept. It's called the session of Christ, which don't get lost in the terminology. But I think it's interesting because session is one of those outdated 
uh, archaic words we don't use too often. It means sitting, but not just like sitting down. It means sitting with purpose, sitting with purpose, like a teaching session or like a court being in session or like our Congress being in session, handling supposedly the work of the people. In session, and the greatest in session there ever was, was the session of Jesus Christ. Like King David said in his prophetic Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We also affirm this same concept in the Apostles' Creed when we recite, and he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God. What it means for us is this simple, and here's the point for us. Jesus is the ascended king, and he's in session. He's in session over your life and over my life and over the circumstances all around us. He is reigning and ruling. Jesus is holding court. He is sitting on the throne. He is not nervous. His purpose is going to be accomplished and his word is going to be established. When your troubles seem invincible, remember this. The ascended king is in session. And when evil of our day, which is all around us, seems to be winning, remember this. The ascended king is in session. And when all of humanity's collective wisdom fails at solving the problems that our sin produced, remember this, the ascended king is in session. Because King Jesus is in session, these disciples didn't suffer the loss of his presence. They just got more of it. While they were standing there, staring into the sky, thinking this meant he was gone because he is now in session, he's actually more present. For his ascension was not the loss of his presence or his leadership or his protection. It was the magnification of it because he has promised and he has sent the spirit, which means spatially he is no longer limited. His presence and his spirit is in each of his followers. Because he ascended, his head that once held a crown of thorns is now holding a crown of glory. And because he ascended, we not only have a high priest who can, who can be familiar and acquainted with our weaknesses, but one who is ever making intercession at the right hand of the Father for us. And who is also pouring out his grace upon us and encouraging each one of us wherever we are to draw near to that throne. Because he ascended, he is now seated, seated, not nervous, not worrying, seated at the Father's right hand, waiting for every enemy, past, present, and future, to be made his footstool. So you see, his ascension is an absolute necessity of our faith. Seeing him as not only the risen king, but the ascended king is vital. And just like he planned out every other thing that he did for us, his incarnation, his passion, his resurrection, 
His ascension was planned before time, and so is his return. Jesus is in session. Is he in session in your life? Are there things that are not lining up under his rule and kingdom? It's time to submit and kneel to the king and ask the ascended king to make a difference in what you're facing. It's what motivates us to be his witnesses. It's what empowers us to do so in our own Jerusalems and then in our Judeas and then in our Samarias and then even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's also what motivates us every time we pray to pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we live our lives today with the reality and understanding that King Jesus is in session. Amen.